0: Today's episode is brought to you by AOS Kitchens, the South's leading outdoor kitchen design and installation specialists. Welcome to another episode of the Meet and Greet Barbecue podcast. Today we're talking to Simon who is a butcher for Macnade Farm Shop down in Kent. We're going to be talking about all things meat, uh, secondary cuts, economical cuts, uh, as well as kind of Simon's career in chefing and, and and his love for barbecue in general. So, without much further ado, here's Simon. Well, welcome Simon to the Meat and Greek Barbecue podcast. It's absolutely fantastic to have you on. Uh, for everyone that doesn't know who you are, please introduce yourself to our to our listeners. Yeah, hello. So yeah, my
1: name's Simon. I'm currently a butcher. Uh, I've been a butcher now for, uh, guessing about seven years. Time goes too fast, I'm losing track. Uh, I run a, um, a lovely craft butchery in um, Fabershire in Kent. I've um, been running the butchery now for probably about five years. Uh, I specialise in all whole carcass butchery, so... That means to, to a lot of us that we don't buy anything in the box, it comes in as a whole animal. We break it down to customer requirements or, or whatever we want that broken down to. So whole chickens, whole pigs, whole beef, whole lamb, you name it, that's where we do it. Uh, zero importation, um, all the meat is from directly from farms to abattoir to us. Um, so we've got 100 traceability on absolutely everything that we're trying to do. So that's kind of the USP where I'm at right now. Um, Background, I chef for the best part of about 20 years um, in the industry, starting off in high-end fine dining um, in Kent and then moving my way up into London. Um, I was fortunate enough to do some stages with um, Ramsey. Um, I worked for Michel Roux as a sous chef for, for a little while wow. up in Parliament Square. So I, it, more luck of the draw than anything else. You know, I worked bloody hard my younger age and I, I was lucky to fall on my feet and sort of land some really really good jobs uh finished off the chefing career back in Kent um opening restaurants in Tunbridge Wells so we had a restaurant what formerly was called the 26 and then we later on opened a restaurant called the beacon which are two quite well relatively famous restaurants within Kent um and then to be honest to sort of keep it relatively short on it I uh I didn't lose passion for the trade. I lost passion for the hours, um, I think no. is probably the truth. Um, yeah. I would never lose passion for cooking. Cooking is, is, is that that's what I do. That's not just my, uh, wasn't just my job, it's my hobby. But I've got three young girls and a wife um, and trying to work at six in the morning till two in the morning was not great. <laughs> that's the polite way of putting it, <laughs> to be honest with <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's, that's really kind cool. of in a nutshell. That's that, that, that's 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 my kind of career path. I mean, there's a hell of a lot more to it, but we'd, we would need a, a four-hour meeting for that one. But <laughs> so
0: yeah, that's me. Always, yeah. Oh, perfect. Well, yeah, it's great to have you on, Simon. I think what's um, what I was really interested, obviously, we met at Sizzle Fest, yeah. uh, you know, uh, not not so long ago, uh, and we started having a conversation around obviously butchery. Uh, and I think one of the things I was quite excited to talk to you about today was where you've said you literally have whole carcass yeah. come in, nothing's boxed, it's all customer orders. You know, I think, I mean, we've spoken about it a lot on the podcast, you know, you have your traditional, your briskets, your Boston butts, you know, the traditional kind of low and slow cuts and things like that. But I'm actually quite interested to to hear from you, A, with your chefing career, but also your expertise as a butcher, what are the what are those other cuts what are those alternatives perhaps the 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 lesser known or the the cheaper alternatives that can still you know be fantastic to cook on the barbecue still give the same great flavors as all you know all of these traditional cuts that we would you know we would normally go for
1: yeah you know that's a brilliant question I am mean, I'm so pleased you asked that question um because that's something that I'm really trying to push in in my butchery right now is Coming away from, I'm, I'm going to use the terminology primal cuts. I know it's the wrong terminology because primals will re- revets are sort of sirloins and ribeyes. But in the yeah. barbecue world, to me, a primal cut would be your, your kind of your briskets, your Boston butts, that kind of thing, which everybody knows. Every every barbecue book in the world has got a brisket recipe, a short rib recipe. Um, great. You no, know, yes, like you say, brilliant flavors, you know. But let, let's start with one thing. So, first of all, brisket, I find exceptionally hard to cook. And I think every barbecue enthusiast will probably back me up on that one to get a perfect brisket is, uh, yeah, very hard. So actually, yeah, we started looking, uh, like you say other cuts in the butchery. So let's take the shoulder of um, beef. So in the trade, four quarter of beef. So the four quarter contains uh, 1,001 amazing cuts. So we have a quick run through. So starting off, what's really a fashion at the moment, it's a great one. So we'll start with the shin. So. My boys in the butchery will kill me for saying this because they take the mick out of me. I've got a proper old school team that are going to rip the mick out of me for this one. But <laughs> Thor, Thor's hammer is is massive on social media right now, and I'm I'm seeing I've seen it everywhere. Oh, not just everywhere. So you've got some of the biggest players in the in the meat industry in the market. So Longcroft and Old um, are actually selling boxed up Thor's hammers ready to go. It's uh, it's it's mind blowing, but it's a great cut. So you know traditionally have beef. Let's go back old English style. So shouldn't beef braised. Nice red wine hue, that kind of that kind of thing, you know carrots, onions, all of that nice stew, but it's now becoming that real sort of fashionable on a barbecue, low and slow um A friend of mine did one the other day, which blew me away actually um he did it with he braised it on um on his um ceramic barbecue and then um smoked it heavily over Guinness and then pulled it straight into the Guinness and then made that nice. and then put the meat into a pie on the barbecue of course. And, uh, you know, when you kind of look at social media, go, wow, that's, 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 that's insane. That's, that's <laughs> next level barbecue to me. So you know, there's, there's one cut that I think, well, uh, I'd like to say it was underrated, but four months, five months ago, yeah, it was quite underrated, but it's become quite fashionable now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can sell, well, we don't actually have that many committed by whole carcass, but I could probably sell three or four or five or six, maybe even a week
0: quite happily of those. So- and would you say, would you have seen six months ago that you would have sold one of those a week? Yeah, even trying to sell shin on the bone six months ago is would have been
1: near and near impossible. Um, you know, people want a convenience bone out, shin ready to go. But since yeah. that rise of social media and, the, and this Thor's hammer kind of hitting the market hard, yeah, every
0: second post on, on, on Instagram at the moment, it's like a Thor's hammer. It's like, wow, what's going on? <laughs> do, um, do you find there's, there's a trend in terms of popularity as well that kind of links to cost yeah, so, I'm, I'm, supply and demand.
1: I, I assume. Yeah. Well, do you know what? Well, I don't want to divulge off the original question too far, but you know, cost is a great one, and maybe that's something that we might bring up a little bit later on. But of course, you know, we're living in a, in a current climate where economics is hitting hard, isn't it? And mm-hmm. you know, we're seeing that across. You know, I own with my wife, we own two businesses, and we're seeing that impacts in that. You know, when it comes to the physical cost of everything from rates to you name it to purchasing, you know, I've got a coffee shop just just to purchasing coffees and syrups. But yeah. that goes back into the butchery related. Yeah, of course it does. And that's where these secondary cuts are absolutely huge for us, you know, because not only can we give something that's absolutely quality, but we can also give something that's more economic. Um and less risky than a brisket, I think is probably again for me. So you still go back to that original question with that. Um my favourite at the moment is actually chuck. Um or chuck steak. But rather than I don't know, a lot of butcheries traditionally would, you know, you'd roll the whole thing, so you'd take the chuck off the bone for argument's sake, and you've got almost like a double muscle. So you've got a muscle that sits on top, then you've got a seam, then you've got like the um, the round muscle, which is in effect the continuation from the ribeye um that sits on there. So within the butchery, again, maximizing what we can get from one cut. So we'll take that seam off the top, clean that seam up really nicely. So any of the sinews will come off and that will go into Denver steaks, which we'll talk about in a moment, but bloody brilliant steaks. But then the, the chuck, so we take the fat. So the basically the fat that sits on top over, over the blade and the juice fillet, we take that and we roll that back on over the chuck eye. So you've got like, a in traditionally, I suppose you'd know it as a chuck roast. Um, but for me, wow, the flavor on that, you put that on a barbecue, 150 degrees C, give it three, four, maybe five hours, just real low and slow. Well, say low and slow, 150 degrees C. Not <laughs> but I think, again, what the controversial world of the barbecue world is real know, but I, I think takes a higher temperature and actually prefers cooking at that little higher yeah. temperature brisket. It. it renders the fat down perfectly. It still doesn't dry out because there's enough fat in the muscle for it not to dry out. But when you get that and you pull that into say like tacos or something like that, wow, the flavour of that is just, I just mind blowing. Um, and again, I had a very good friend. I'm not going to name drop, but I had a very good friend who owns a very well known chili company. Um, in the you're south, f- you'll find you'll
0: find name drop by the way. Uh, yeah, good friend of mine,
1: um, Carrington's.
0: Um, who's just happens to be, I love to... Carrington's, I love uh, Carrington's.
1: Well, check out his they social sh- He uh, he bought <sighs> the Chuck Roll from us uh last week. Um, you know, I didn't basically i didn't have any brisket that I thought was good enough to be barbecued, basically. Um, and we'll go through I can go I'll explain that later. But I said to him, Look, why don't you, why don't you look at this? This, is, this has to be my favorite cut. And he actually he texted me a couple of days ago, just like, Wow. I'm just blown away. The flavour, the ease of the cooking, this thing's incredible. So chuck roll is my number one go-to for low and slow-ish <laughs> um, barbecue. Um, so yeah, chuck roll, brilliant. But then that sort of carries on, doesn't it? So you know, I, I, I'm, I'm visualising it as this shoulder of beef. So you've kind of, you've got the chuck sitting here. Then if you, I don't know how much it you is, like you've got the blade bone that sits on top. So. On top of the blade where you've got that t-bone section of the blade you've got then two muscles that sit either side so one muscle sits one side is what we know old school in the trade as feather blade and then let's be honest the revolution uh how many years but it's, it's gonna be a few years now what five six maybe even 10 years revolution of the flat iron stake yeah. that's just skyrocketed um and i think you know first of all uh more economical you know just, it is a secondary cut it's a feather blade it's a it's a Potentially, it was an old school uh, stewing cup. and then you've got the likes of the Flatiron restaurants opening up, London, London bound, um, putting this massive name onto this steak, and that's incredible. What a steak! It's got the flavour of a ribeye, it's got amazing texture, and it's about three quarters the price of a primal cup. Wow. So
0: that's incredible. Um, so, that, so, from you know, a text, from from a yeah. texture point of view, then so. What would that be similar to? What other steak would that be similar to? I would, I'm going to again.
1: It's subjective to opinion, isn't it? But I'm going to go. I am going to go more sirloin, probably rump, more rump. It's not. It's never going to be as tender as a fillet. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's you know. It's a working muscle, isn't it? It's the muscle that sits on there. It's not going to have it have that tenderness to it. But if it's cooked correctly, and again, this is subject to opinion, but in my eyes. And I'm not even—I'm you know, going to get killed by most chefs on this. I'm not even going to say rare. You know, a medium rare to medium for it. You know, medium, probably more medium, because it just allows you to cook, cook out some of that more muscular areas in it. But the key for it, as long as it's rested, yeah, you know, it's sat and it's left on the side. You know, so many people make this huge mistake of put the steak in a pan or on a barbecue. Yeah, cook it really nice and hot. They get it cooked absolutely perfect, right? They take it out, they whack it on a plate, and they try and eat it, and they're like, "Oh, this is really tough." It's It's not relaxed, does it? It hasn't had any time to sit. You know, it needs to relax, and and this goes really, really key importance for any of the secondary steaks, so the Denver steaks, the flat iron steaks. The key to making them tender is relaxing them. Just make sure that they sit. Don't cover them with tin foil. You've already cooked it perfectly, so you don't want to cook it in further. Just let it rest. Let it rest, and then you'll have a tenderness of a rump or a sirloin in my eyes. That's and again, it's also with it. I'm going to be a little bit arrogant, I suppose, but it's the skill of the butcher. Because yeah. if, that, if that secondary cut isn't cleaned up properly, so if if a lot of that sinew that's on the bottom is left on that flat iron, I so, say, well, that sinew is never going to cook. And if you imagine when you put it on the barbecue, it's going to contract, that sinew is just going to pull it even tighter. So, a lot of it is in the skill of the butchery. It, it's I you think know, making sure that the butchers understand how that should be cleaned out, how it should be prepared properly. Um, and I can go really in depth on it. It's not only the skill of the butchery, but it's also the skill in understanding the animal, making sure that that is hung long enough. Yeah, it's there's so many elements that goes into getting these cuts correct. And it's not just the cooking. If that makes sense. So, yeah,
0: no, absolutely. And again, this is exactly why we wanted you to come on, just to kind of really go, you know, a bit more into depth. But also, yeah. let's let's say for me, you know, I'm not... I'm not a complete newbie into, into you know, barbecue or, or going in, you know, I quite often go to my local butcher, but equally I'm by no means an expert. So let's say for, for me to, get to, if I'm going in and you're talking about, clean, you know, cleaning up the, the, the secondary cuts properly, visually for me as the customer, what should I be looking for yeah,
1: to, to see that
0: actually it's been cleaned up properly and I am not going to, I'm not going to get, Bopped off with uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm I'm off right
1: off with, thing. no, I'm not going to beat around the bush because it's it's really important that for me that my customers have the confidence to understand, confidence to go into butchers and actually ask because we're never going to get the trade going any further if the customers haven't got confidence to come and see us. So, um, I don't know how to really explain it. It's I would say with a flat iron, it's it's what we know in the trade or what I know in the trade is, as the sinews, so the connective tissues. So if it's got like a really big line of like shiny looking material on on it. Then that's not going to cook down. If it's fat, then that's a different story. That's going to cook.
0: Do you know it's, that's such a difficult question to ask answer because I can visualise it. I can see it in front of me. So, so for me, out? it's like the yeah. So for me, I call it like the silver skin. It's kind of like the silver the... skin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yep. I'm not going to use the word gristle because that gristle would be uh, is
1: counterproductive in terms of what the cut is. So, if you've got a piece of shin, well, it's going to be full of what looks like gristle because that's the nature of that cut. But yeah. you're not going to cook shin as a steak
0: so yeah, you're gonna no, of course so, you,
1: so it's very much on that on those kind of cuts if like sir, sirloin going onto the primal cuts is a great one if you look at the back of the sirloin there's a great big line of silver skin that kind of sits on that top now if you go into again you know, butchers, we're going to watch this might kill me because <laughs> but i like to make sure that on the butcher before that goes on the counter we take that skin out so you remove the part of the fat that goes on the back you remove that silver skin so when you cook it on a barbecue all of it's going to cook. You know, you haven't got that bit of silver skin sitting there that's going to be tough and nasty. Yeah. But it's a difficult one in the trade because that comes at cost element because we're taking that out. Obviously, we're paying as a butcher, we're paying for the whole thing. Yeah. But in my eyes, to get repeat custom and to get customer confidence, well, I want the customer to have the best product that we can physically deliver. And that it has to be, in my eyes, it's a finished product that the customer can take home and enjoy. And they haven't got to worry about working to get that perfect product. Um, yeah. and that's the way I see it in 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 our butchery. Um, you know, on the flip side of it, we do get customers that want the experience of actually doing a butchery home, so they can always ask and we'll let them do. Of course, you know they can do that. So yeah, I think that, yeah, it's a really it is a hard question to answer because every every steak is going to have a slightly different thing to look out for. But you know, predominantly, it's that silver skin on the steak that you know you want to make sure it's cleaned up, especially on the secondary cuts such as your flat irons and your Denver steaks. Um, yeah, Denver especially because we think that sits on top of your chuck. Your chuck's exceptionally. A tough muscle. So if that Denver's got isn't cleaned up properly, then it will be it will run the risk of being a very tough cup. You know, we take you know, we take a good half hour to ensure that every little bit on that Denver is clean. So when you get it, it's just just this perfect steak that you can take home and cook straight away. So I don't know, it's
0: kind of a roundabout answer really, but I no, no. just it sounds like a labour of love the way that you do it. <laughs> I think it well I don't think it, it, it is you know, we
1: I wouldn't do the trade if we didn't love the trade you know it's it's yeah. bloody hard graft like a lot of trades are um you, you think it's the physical element what the customer doesn't necessarily see the physical element of the job is is hard you know I've I've damaged myself more and more times than I'd like to like to imagine but you know you think we get beef delivery come in a body of beef's around 400 kilos you know it's got to come in the fridge that's then got to come out the fridge and come onto the block and it, it, it's you know these things people don't see a pig can be anything up to sort of 80 odd kilos and that's going to come yeah. in again you know so there's a lot of physical lifting carrying and then obviously then you've got the the tired element you're working with knives let's be honest and the butcher's knives most butcher's knives are relatively sharp <laughs> <laughs> we <Well, you'd laughs> hope, so. hope so yeah <laughs> absolutely <It's a> <laughs> ongoing joke in our trade but Uh, Uh, So, yeah, no, I think, you know, people don't necessarily see that. And yes, but so it's a labor of love. It has to be because I don't, if it wasn't, if you didn't love it, I don't think you would, I don't think you would do it. You know, it it, is that element. But I absolutely, as you hopefully can tell, you know, I absolutely love the trade. I wouldn't, I wouldn't swap it for the world right now, to be honest with you. It's, um, it's dangerous though. You know, you've got this butcher counter in front of you and you've got barbecues at home and you're going, oh, like, I think the ongoing joke, um, I might say, I always stayed in Abby, for this one as well. My wife, um, I have to text my wife to get money put on the card because she knows what I'm <laughs> money on the card. That's it. I'm coming home with like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Probably well, to to be, me. yeah. Well, to be to be honest with you, Simon, I'm exactly the same. So I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll nip into the butchers and I'll think, right. I need some chicken breast for tonight or whatever it might be. Yeah, and, and I'll come, come home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll go in there to spend a five
1: and I'll go out spending fifty quid. And I've got some on. that put my, my shoes, so I don't know if you see my social media, but if you look in, if you look in my fridge, when you've got three, four bodies of beef hanging up, and you walk in and go.
0: Oh right. Um what do I want for dinner? <laughs> it, just it, take it. the whole side just take the whole side of beef home and just uh, uh
1: do you know what? It's been so tempting. It's been so tempting. Um <laughs> what do we do? I don't know. again, I'll be wrong. To say, I don't know, I can't remember the name of the steak. Um and I'm sure people when we, when we put it live will hopefully hopefully help me out. But we do we did one um it was more of a joke over the summer where you take the what we know as a tray the top bit. So the top bit is your leg of beef, basically. So if you I don't know if you can imagine a leg of beef, so it's kind of imagine a leg of lamb and tr- make it about twenty times the size. Yeah. So if you imagine on the um, on the top of the lamb, so where the H bone sits, we've got the flat here. So what we do with the beef and that we, we take this one big steak across the whole slice. So oh this thing God. is literally like like this by about this deep. <laughs> and oh, I've never been so tempted to chuck that out of the fire pit and so, <laughs> so, so again it was from the trade, you know, if we have that flexibility to have some fun as well. Yeah. Just cut things like that and yeah, just whacked that in the counter i think it worked out about 25 kilo steak i think in the end wow
0: um
1: so yeah as you can tell yeah it's 100% labor of love you know what we do is just and again i'm i'm lucky you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit here and go yeah I'm, i am lucky i've fallen on my feet with you know a where i am being the people i work with um and being able to physically able to have this affiliation with the farmers that i'm working with um and the contacts you so know it's there is a hell of a lot of luck <laughs> sort of falling into that um, you know, not every butcher has the capabilities. Not, I'm not saying capabilities of their skill set, but the physical capabilities of the space, the time um, to, to be able to do what we do. So, yeah, there is a there is massive element of luck. <laughs> so,
0: actually, the the contact with the farmers, and I'd, I'd love to just touch upon that, and, and yeah, then we can go back to the kind of secondary yeah. cuts and all that yeah, yeah. in a minute. But um, so, in some of the other episodes, one that's not yet to be aired. Uh I recorded um earlier this week, although by the time this comes out, it'll be weeks ago, uh, with Jack from Jack's Meat Shack. Yep. Uh we interviewed Genevieve Taylor earlier, <laughs> in, the, yep. uh, earlier in the summer, and where we did a summer special. And we were just talking about the quality of British beef. And we we're actually, com- you know, we were comparing it to oh, you know, well, US corn corn-fed beef, and you know, obviously mm-hmm. our grass-fed beef is obviously a lot leaner, but it's a better flavour. So I'm interested from your point of view when you're yeah, saying about 100% traceability. You know, you've yep. you've got local contacts with local farmers. How important that actually is to, yeah. to the cus- to the customer and the quality of the beef that you can serve. Okay, well
1: I think there, there's there's several different areas to to that one question. Um, so let's just sort of take each area in its turn. So let's do let's do sort of the quality. Um, let's just do let's do first of all sort of UK v USDA for argument's sake for America. Um, UK beef, yeah, it's been challenging. Um, well, I work with 100% pasture-fed, you know, certified pasture for life. Um, I work directly with pasture for life as well, so um, I represent as a butcher um, once a month meetings with uh, with all the, these guys. So I'm a massive advocate, as, as 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 you know, with pasture for life. Though it's been very, very challenging. Um, you put a pasture for life brisket, let's use that as an example, against a, a USDA. Um, well it's not it's not even use UCA, let's just use an American grain fed brisket. Um, the intermuscular marbling of the American brisket, you're never gonna beat that. That is it's incredible. And for for your barbecue enthusiast, it is gonna cook incredible, it's gonna stay moist, it's gonna, it's gonna tick every all, all of those boxes um, that you want to tick for a brisket. Though I kind of sit on the other side of that fence that I want to support the pasture for life scheme um i want to sport pasture fed beef um for several reasons first of all actually on the eating reason i actually do believe it tastes better um i think it's got more earthiness more natural flavors to it um as as my personal perspective to it i think you have the beef tastes like beef you don't need to muck around with it too much um again if you look through my my social media i try and not do too much heavy dry rubs or sauces or anything like that because in my eyes, the quality of the pasture of beef shouts through, and you don't need necessarily need that to go on top of that. The other one, which I won't go too in depth because it, it, it going for for years on it, but environmental impacts is is absolutely huge right now. Um, yeah. We're all seeing. Yeah, again, I'm 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 sitting here in Kent, looking out my window. It's currently 20 degrees still outside, and we're nearly November. know, yeah, in, in without getting my high horse too much. But if that doesn't shout, there's something wrong with our current climate. Then Then what is? um, We all know what's been going on in the in the industry with beef and the reputation that beef has got predominantly throughout the industry of being this nasty meat, methane-forming, planet-destroying animal. Um, So you know, I I think there needs to be that change, that change towards that pasture system, um, where you know it's a lot less intensive grazing. You know, the the herds are a lot smaller. that, I think, definitely, again, for me, that's another massive influence is going for going for that way. So, you know, I mean, it's been like, go back to sort of the quality. It's been a battle. Um, you know, when we first started with pasture-fed, um, I was getting some bodies coming through that, to be honest, I don't really want to be too nasty, but they were only as good for dog food. Um, you know, we had bodies come through that in a trade when there was coverage, so that's the fat cover. We have mm-hmm. they come through looking like venison, like just no fat on them, and in, in you, you try and put a you know four river beef up with no fat on it against uh, a, a grain finished or a grain fed, and it's wells apart, isn't it? So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we've been working super hard with the farmers for the farmers to try and understand as a butcher and, and the end, end user what what are we trying to look for? You know how do we get the pasture systems to better finish their animals good enough to get the right amount of fat cover on it, the right kind of intermuscular marbling, and it goes so in depth you know I'm, I'm having some really interesting conversations at the moment with um, um, researchers you know looking at traditional breeds you know, how much has that had an impact in actually use, using our own heritage traditional breeds against crossbred animals is actually making the finished product and the pasture system much much better um, and i'll give you an example of that I, I i had some belted galloway come in probably back back to beginning of summer um it was an older animal so again for, for for the listeners on here so an average an average cow in the uk will go to slaughter non-commercial let's put it that way probably be 27 28 29 months commercial could be anything as short as 18 months um to go into slaughter um anything after anything after 30 months in a trade it goes to what we know as otm so over 30 months now some of us are old enough to remember bsc <laughs> um when that kind of hit uh, the big scare in in the in the beef yeah. industry that hit huge and you remember, remember t bones disappearing off the shelves and all of that. Well um what happened when VSE kind of hit? They um anything over thirty months old they have to test for BSE. So what, what that means is they have to take the backbone out, test the spinal cord. Um so most farmers will try and keep their beef now under thirty months because when you when you take the backbone out of an OTM animal, it's a skill of the salterman obviously to get it neat and tidy. But some of the some of the jobs i've seen have been absolutely horrendous you know you're cutting into primal cuts if they get it wrong you know it's just not great right but that's kind of divulging off so that's just kind of give a bit background on where we're at but this belted galloway anyway was not only an otm so over 30 months it was a nine-year-old pasture raised um, belted galloway not just pasture raised as well um it was raised on rare pasture so what we what we know as conservation grazing so the animal wasn't isn't being necessarily bred for the meat trade. It's being bred as a conservation animal. It churns up the ground, new fornia comes through the ground, and it's that biodiversity of the breeding program. Um anyway, we were fortunate to get our hands on this nine-year-old Belty. And oh my God, if you again just shout on my Instagram, if you get to go on my Instagram, scroll through to about back at the beginning of summer, there's a couple of pictures I put up of the uh, top side. And it's, it's way better than any Wagyu that I've ever seen in the UK. It's probably got more marbling than any sort of A1 Wagyu. This thing is incredible. And that's 100% pasture. So going back to the original kind of the breeding on it, what we what I'm kind of looking at is actually, I, I, my, again, it's opinion, but my opinion is that the British native breeds that haven't been crossbred finish much better on grass than they would on grain. So whether that be a purebred Aberdeen Angus, whether that would be a pure Sussex, whether that be a pure Belty, um, and by looking at that philosophy, working with I mean working with the farmers that we're working with who've got these pure breeds, we're now at the stage where I firmly believe the quality that's coming through is fantastic. Now, controversially on that, of course, a lot of these breeds um, they won't have a lot of that intermuscular marbling. The Belted does because that's the nature of that animal. It's like Wagyu, isn't it? Let's be honest. Wagyu, through all the fallacies of people, you know, is fed with this and done with this. The breed naturally has. A lot um, of fat in his muscles. Yeah. That, that's that's the breed. Yes, you know there's ways of enhancing on that. Grain's always going to enhance on that, but that's the breed, and that's the same for Belties. Aberdeen Angus doesn't necessarily have all that much, it, you know, but it does have a really good outer covering of fat. So it's well, it's the skin again, the skin of the butchery. So when the animal comes in, looking at that animal, right? How long does it need to age for? What's the best parts to age, and what parts do we need to use quick? So that kind of goes into links between on the pasture as well. So every animal that comes through from pasture is going to be slightly different. You know, you haven't got that controllability that you've got on a grain finished or a grain fed animal. Yeah, you know, again, trying without getting too scientific on it, a grain fed animal we will predominantly be weighed in before slaughter. So they'll hit a certain weight and then it'll be taken to slaughter. Whereas pasture, the farmer's out there with his hands on the back of the animal, going right, how much fat has it got? It's you know, yes, they weigh it, but it's a, mostly it's intuition sense. Yeah understanding it, looking at the conformation when the animal's alive on the field, you know how, how hunched up it, how long are the legs, all, all of those kind of things. Then it's down to the skill of the butcher to understand about the ageing of it. So if an animal comes in and it hasn't got a lot of coverage on it, so outer, muscle, outer fat, that animal's never going to age. You know, it, It's going to hang for a couple of weeks and it will almost start to go mouldy before it will go age. So it's, it's really kind of using our own interpretation to go, that animal, I'm going to leave that animal for six weeks. And then will be absolutely at its premium to eat, or actually that animal needs to be cut relatively quick. And that's the beauty of having a butcher, isn't it? Because we can talk to each one of our customers and go, "Actually, I recommend this," or the brutal honesty, "I don't recommend this." And this goes back to the pasture, I suppose, is actually, you know, and again, my boss is known quite happy to say this because you know we work very closely together. But if the brisket conversation comes up and the customer specifically comes in for brisket for their barbecue. And the partial fed brisket that I've got isn't, in my eyes, good enough to cook low and slow. And we haven't, let's say, got an alternative like a chuck, then I will say to them, look, why don't you try one of these other companies, recommend another company and say, look, try them, try the USDA or try the grain finished, because that will actually give you a better product. Because I think, yeah, I firmly believe in open, honesty, integrity. That's, you know, that's sort of what it's about, you know, because I know that customer will still come back.
0: I, I was just about to say, yeah, that that's, that's quite important. Isn't it that a, you build a relationship with your customer, and like yes. you said, if you, I suppose your whole reputation is on the quality of your butchery and quality of the meat that you serve and the advice that you give. So it's sometimes it, it is better to be open and honest and actually say, well, I wouldn't recommend this, or I do recommend this, or you should. I definitely wouldn't do this, but let let me tell you to do this instead. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I I don't I don't,
1: I wouldn't want to run the butchery in any other way. Um, you know, I don't see the point in trying to pull the wool over a customer's eyes just to get sale. You know, you'll get that immediate sale, but that customer's probably not going to come back and he's probably gonna tell another 10 customers, don't go there. The meat we have there is was awful. So, you know, what's the I'd rather lose that initial sale by being honest for them to come back. Well, thank you for that recommendation. But we've come back, you know. So yeah, it's, it's gotta be that way. It's gotta be that way in my eyes, you know. And meat varies, doesn't it? You know, it's not always the same. So let's just if it's not right, then do something else. We can always do you can always do something you know, that brisket that wasn't right necessarily for low and slow barbecue what well, might be ideal for a pot roast for someone else who comes in yeah. so there's always something yeah. you can do and um so yeah go back to sort of original so pasture pasture feds is where is where i'm at um you know certainly where i'm at and as you can see again by my social you know, massive advocate of it and again it goes flavor for me prim- primarily environmental impact um, and i'll touch delicately on the health side of it because there's still more resets going into it but you know we had proven a few months ago the omega-3 um, omega-3 Omega levels within pasture um, and we can actually now sell pasture pure pasture fed beef we can sell as a source of omega-3 um, right, okay. which is absolutely incredible absolutely incredible uh, I was buzzing you, yeah when we had that meeting so not only is it ethically friendly not only is it tasty I can also sell it if it, it's good for you. <laughs> it's yeah. it oh, brain awesome. Brilliant, isn't it? Um she <laughs> you know, had that, you know, scientifically proven. It's taken, I think it was a six years, six year project to get to that wow. letter of sign-off um to say yes, you know, it contains X amount of omega-3. Um and there's as you can imagine, there's a multitude of other projects going along with with pasture as well at the moment. So of course, yeah, absolutely advocate. Um, back to the American grain fed. Yeah, of course I enjoyed grain fed. Yeah, yeah. It's it's got a unique flavor to it hasn't it um yeah but i think the older i get i suppose and the more i'm eating the grass fed the less i'm enjoying grain fed um i, I sometimes you kind of leave you almost like that, that kind of like fatty residue uh, if that makes sense whereas yeah. i think the grass well, say i'm going to say grass fed pasture feds a lot more clean um and a clean finish but it's subjective isn't it let's be honest you know i'm not here to preach people's taste you know everybody's taste is slightly different um, and if we like
0: certain different things, I can I can only provide. And, 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 and budgets are different as well, because again, I've gone on to tr- buy certain, gone on to try and find some certain types of USDA prime. And you're talking hundreds of pounds, hundreds oh, and hundreds oh, of pounds for a piece of brisket, in, you know. And I, think, and I don't
1: quote me, but was you was you at that bit of um, sizzle when we did that? We had the bone-in brisket against the USDA brisket right back at the beginning um, on the demo stage.
0: No, I, th- I think uh, I missed
1: that. Well, it's really interesting. So, at the very beginning, it was, I think it was the first, the first one that Ant done. It was a um, bone-in brisket, which was local, and I think it, it might quote be probably quite be wrong, but I'm sure he said to me, "It was either longhorn or shorthorn brisket on the bone." Um, and the next that next set was a bag of uh, USDA brisket, and USDA brisket was about that big. The bone-in brisket was like this. <laughs> so first of all, we you know there was like this world of difference, like, like, you know, of course. And even the guy, again, he's going to kill me for getting this wrong, but the guy had flown across from America who cooks hundreds of briskets a week, looked at his bone in brisket and was like, wow. Um, but yeah, and then I was standing with um, one, of the, one of the guys that come down in the butchery trade, um, a guy called Dave. He's very high up in the in the bookers group. Um, he's been a butcher for, well, well more years than he is, he'd probably like me to mention. <laughs> um, he's exceptionally well-respected in the industry. And he was saying, you know, even at cost moment, I think he was saying they're about 18 quid a kilo at cost. And that's before you put you know your margins on for retail. It's ludicrous. Yeah. Um, you know risk it at cost for me at the moment is around about ten
0: eighty, ten ninety at cost. So it's nearly it's nearly double then isn't it? It's it's yeah it's it's big. That's that's,
1: that's not small there's not small numbers. No, and that's it. And and, and again I'm sure we're gonna come on it like we said earlier about you know the, the fails when you're when you're paying that money for say USDA And you fail. Oh God! (laughs) Like not only have you got the embarrassment of having just failed, but you've also known you've just thrown a lot of money away for that fail. And let's be honest, you know the current climate we're sitting in. I don't think a lot of people can really justify that right now. I know. I I certainly can't. You know, I don't mind a fail because you you know you've got to fail to learn, haven't you? But I'd rather fail on something that was a little bit cheaper than.
0: Yeah, hundred yeah. pound a kilo of brisket. Um, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, just out, just out of interest, then obviously over over the last few years for you, yeah. uh, you know, with, with customers coming in, are you seeing more people coming in and asking? I don't necessarily just mean low and slow cuts, but just uh, asking for uh, cuts to go be cooked outside, outdoors on grills. Are you finding there's a, an upwards trend in that?
1: Oh my god! I, I'm, I'm massively, massively. Now I don't know whether it's a biased view because of the microclimate that I work in. Um, you know, just to kind of put it in a roundabout scheme. I work in a huge farm shop. Um, yeah, it's Kent's like foodie heaven. Um, you know, six thousand square foot of just incredible produce um, a deli That's got probably more cheese than Harrods. <laughs> um, wow! Well, so yeah, come check us out. I'll, we'll go to that later. But um, but because of that, you know, we get a lot of people coming in that do a lot of barbecuing um i'm trying to think of a lot. a lot of high-end barbecuing i can't think of the terminology to use on that um so yeah you know, i see a very mixed view on it but there has been a massive change yeah massively i think i would say percentage of the customers over the weekend you're probably at least 30 40 percent of the customers every weekend are coming in for barbecue and that's 300 odd days a year Wow. Um, yeah well. you know, I, I think the trend the biggest trend has changed that for a lot of people now, it's not just this, oh, the, wet, the sun's out, summer's hit, let's barbecue. You know, a lot of people, it's become now a, a hobby, a passion. Let's yeah. do this every weekend, most nights. Um, let's experiment. Um, get asked the questions, how can I cook my turkey on my barbecue? That's you know massively common nowadays. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think the trend's huge. Um, and again, the way I set my, my butchery window up very much kind of hopefully reflects that trade as well. So we've always got those options that throughout the year, that you can use in the barbecue. Um, I think cuts have changed as well. So, I think um, you know, let's say it's a stereotypical British barbecue. You know, You're your burnt bangers, you burnt burgers. Yeah,
0: <laughs> your yeah.
1: drums pink in the middle still, and yeah, take everything tasting of paraffin. Um, <laughs> I, I remember those days. I think I think those days have changed, haven't they?
0: oh uh, yeah, definitely. You know, from when I was a kid. And, and that's exactly where we went for our you know that's exactly what our barbecues were yeah absolutely. um and, know, and, and and I've got fond memories of that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, it's almost like dicing with death every time you eat a sausage but you know <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the other the paraffin or the other cooked sausage yeah yeah that's it oh, oh god how much like light fluid, fluid do people oh. need to use uh, anyway it's like
1: oh, I, I remember very first even before chefing, you know very first when i when i got my house first house with my wife and doing our first barbecues and Pouring a whole bottle of light, bottle of light of fluid over, and the flames about ten foot high. <laughs> <laughs> but sort of back to the original, yeah. it's I think the trend has changed. I'm getting asked for now more, a lot more whole cuts. So, tri tips is a great example. Go back to the whole chuck. You know, we're not talking like one kilo, talk two kilo joints, whole Boston butts, um, Thor's hammer again. Those, those kind of things They're becoming a lot, lot more popular and have done over the last maybe three to four. Well, I say three to four years. We had COVID in two years of that, so. Maybe five or six years um, have become a lot more popular. Um, don't get me wrong; you still get the people coming in sausages and burgers. And burger, I think you know, burgers is an interesting one. The the burger industry as as a whole, whether that be restaurants or cook at home, is just still I don't know how, it's still escalating each week. Um, I, I, I'm, I can't quite get to grips of how you know the market's saturated now with incredible burger joints, and I don't even know where to go and eat a burger now because you've got so many bloody good burger joints right? where do i go
0: this well it just
1: it just shows us brits love burgers right it does but look i just yeah i've, I've had to almost rein back you know kind of divulging the repression sorry but you know i've had to rein back on on the burgers and again i found i'm you know, lucky enough that we've got um, a local burger place that has been around for a little while that is just an independent not chain well he's a chain he's got two restaurants and he is he is admittedly opening one in london but he all he does is specialize in bloody brilliant beef lettuce, tomato, and just a very nice sauce. And yeah, you know, it's it, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with these burgers that are stacked about 15 feet high and <laughs> everything else. But go back to my kind of point on grass fed or pasture fed and quality, you know, give me a burger, that's just a really good quality beef, bit of salt and pepper, great bun, fresh lettuce, fresh tomato, what more do you want? But yeah, uh, it's, that's that again, that's the opinion, you know, it's way on but it kind of goes back to that question on the barbecue you know burgers are very very popular we over the summer period christ we could do up to like a thousand burgers a week um wow street, which is good for us because it goes back to that secondary cut you know over the summer period yes we will sell thor's hammer and chuck that kind of thing but you still got a lot of products that you, you won't sell and it goes back to the brisket if the brisket's not good enough for low and slow but it does make a bloody good burger <laughs> so yeah into the burgers it goes so you know it, it swings and roundabouts but. Um, nothing's yeah. wasted no and as again that's a really good point no waste i hate waste you know waste is it's just it, as you see again on on social media i'm I'm down physically visiting these farms you know i'm going down and seeing the hard work that these guys uh um, well women and women and men are putting into into their trades and like yeah. I, I think i work hard as a butcher i don't work anything i did anything like these farmers work you know they're up at two o'clock in the morning and Going to bed at two o'clock at night and they don't stop <laughs> it's, it's it's nuts uh, all to get that meat on our table Yeah, so yeah. it's my job in the butchery to make sure that we respect that and use up as much as physically possible um you know we sell majority of the bones because they make great stock great sauces dog bones whatever else yeah. uh, as much as the trim as well you know even even the dry aged trim you know we'll go into like the african sausages because that's the best part for those for the buoys um so it's, it's just trying to be really calculated um and that goes but almost goes back to what we are saying with Becky earlier about the hanging as well getting that hanging to the right state of hanging you know because you don't want to create that too much wastage but you want to create the product to be the best product it is so it's yeah. it's just having that intuition isn't it and and that goes through every every one of the animals doesn't mean we know we're strictly talking about beef in a moment, but you know bush is far more than beef isn't it you know, lamb will be exactly the same you know we've got outlets for so many different products for lamb. Um, again, if it's lamb burger, you know, straightforward lamb and fresh meat and a bit of feta burger, that kind of thing, or burghese, or yeah, you know, that kind of that kind of area. But yeah, it's it, it just about not creating waste, and that's where barbecue comes in, absolutely ideal, yeah, because it gives you an outlet for uh, for so many things, yeah. Um, whether it would be in the summer period, you've got X amount of drumsticks left, you know, for some reason they seem to have dropped out of fashion. Well. You chuck a really good jerk marinade on; they're flying out the door. <laughs> barbecue has a lot to answer on the UK right now, and it's brilliant to see the way the scene is uh, is exploding. Yeah, it's um, yeah, super exciting. And I'm,
0: I'm I'm really glad to see that it's actually the three six five is as well that actually you're not just experiencing those peaks during the summer, because no. most people that are into barbecue are literally every day, come yes. rain or shine. A hundred percent. And I, and I think for me again, it goes back to labour of love of the butchery. Yeah, I've got
1: a labour of love of, of barbecue and outdoor cooking. Um, and again, I try and cook outdoors as much as physically possible. Um, as much as it's possible, it's difficult living a craziest lifestyle where <laughs> I'm hardly hardly at home at all. But um, you know, we did the steaks on on the fire pit. And there's, there's a fail for you. So we did the steaks on the fire pit, and I've got this really old um, rusty look fire pit which uh, yeah I bought from. Uh, I think it was the range <laughs> a few years ago it cost me, I yeah. think it cost me like 30 quid but it looked aesthetically nice it's done me all right but yeah I cooked the steaks and yeah, the whole bottom fell out of it <laughs> <laughs> whilst you were cooking yeah it's I've got this <laughs> going to be cold in the bottom of this fire pit now I'm like, oh. <laughs> so there's a fail through, but it sits outside all, all year long and, you know, of course it's going to rust through but but yeah you know again like you say it, it's 365 isn't it um I think the other, I think the other interesting one with the all year long is it goes back to economy. Um, again, I, I know my boss won't 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 mind me for saying it, but we, we're quite quite funny actually. He took um, we've got the minimax egg at work that we lend out to staff um, that they can basically rent take it back with them. And he's had it for a while now, um, and he's like, actually, it's been more economical to use the egg than it has to be turning my oven on every day. He said a bag a bag of charcoals lasting over a week. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, that's, I think that's going to be, I don't know how big that's going to be, but I think that's going to be a bit of a thing coming up where, you know, with gas prices are going up and up and up and electricity is going up and up and up. Actually, for the barbecue community, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's much more cost-effective for us to cook outside, um, you know, throw a, few, throw a few charcoals on and happy days. So I think, you know, economy's going kind to of have an impact, isn't it?
0: If you've been looking or thinking about an outdoor kitchen, then look no further than AOS Outdoor Kitchens. They are the South's leading outdoor kitchen design and installation specialists. Their extensive showroom is based just outside Bournemouth on the dorset Hampshire border and as well as numerous in-store displays, also features a live outdoor kitchen where they cook every week on Kamado grills, pizza ovens and all filmed and shown on YouTube. They offer a wealth of knowledge on how to transform your patio into the most incredible outdoor dining area, with styles and options to suit every budget, and you can guarantee they will be able to create something perfectly suited to you and your home. They stock and supply everything that you're going to need for outdoor cooking, including barbecues, kamado ovens, pizza ovens, outdoor fridges, and every accessory that you would need to become the ultimate outdoor chef.
1: So if you want to make yourself the envy of
0: your friends and neighbours, get in touch with them today to arrange a consultation and take the first step in transforming your back garden into the most incredible entertainment space. Visit aoskitchens.co.uk And also I think, you know, where where perhaps people that are probably, you know, into barbecue, inverted commas, um, you know, if you're buying, if you're buying a, a barbecue, again, uh-huh. you don't have to spend thousands of pounds on a barbecue, mm-hmm. but certainly one that's got good heat retention. Yeah. So you you are using less charcoal is so much more economically viable, isn't it? Yes, you might have to pay a little bit more out the front, but I've got barbecues that have lasted me over ten years.
1: Yeah, but that's it. If you and, pay out the front, but you're gonna, you're going to get it back at the back end of it. Um, yeah. You know, and again, I'm not going to be brand specific on it because for everybody who knows me, they know what I use. But I'm not. I'm not i'm not stuck up to a brand um yeah I, I, I was fortunate enough to go with egg purely because of the background of where i worked um and doing bits with them so um but uh, you know there's so many good commando style barbecues now out on the market um you know some are horrendously expensive admittedly um but you know there's there's a lot of affordable you know commandos out there um and i think like heat retention is, is the great is the answer isn't it you know it's finding one of those barbecues that's got a good heat retention on it They'll last you forever. You, know, you look after look after it in the right way. You don't put any paraffin on it. Let's be honest. Classic <laughs> um, <laughs> mistake. But you look after it, and yeah, and, and they will last you. You know, I think you now mine. I think my large now is now probably twelve years, twelve years old now, and it's
0: yeah
1: still going strong. You know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with it, and yeah, you know, it's still lights it up. And you know, my my small, I use three or four nights a week at the moment. Realistically, um. Yeah. Yeah, and again for what i'm cooking on it as well at the moment yeah is i don't cook a lot of slow cooks right now because of again time wise um but it's ideal to throw some steaks on there that, that kind of thing um whole chicken on there doesn't take long does it and no. and the efficiency of lighting it as well like, it doesn't take long to light does it it's like 20 minutes door to door really to get it hot and ready to go temperature control yeah so yeah i think <laughs> spend the money up front. you don't need to go crazy i would say would be my suggestion you don't need to go to you know to the top end brands or the brands within the name, but look just you know, something that's got good heat retention and it will yeah, it will be
0: a godsend. Just on the just on the egg specifically. Yeah. I don't have a, I, I i don't have an egg, but um how, did you I think they had it at Sizzle Fest this year. They definitely did last year, but have you seen that 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 super size one? It was like a essentially <laughs> like a, a bucket a bucket that a fully grown I, Um I
1: worked um Metopia, um Again, I'd be lying to say how many years ago it was. Um, as you get older, you lose track of these things. Um, but I worked for Green Egg at Mitopia, and funny enough, actually, it was before I was, a, was before i was, I'd only just become a butcher. Um, I wasn't affiliated with Pasture Flight, but the USP for Mitopia was grass-fed v uh, grain-fed, um, yeah. and then basically along it, we had a, a bank of mini maxes um, that each each one of us had a station, cooking the steaks, going up, sitting down with the, with a customer, and it was a taste blind taste you know what tastes better and anyway that that was that but we had the double xl egg next to us and my god like <laughs> i even struggled to lift the lid on that thing
0: <laughs> it, it was, is so it is so big
1: i can't remember any bags of charcoal i think it took like two two and a bit bags of charcoal or something i can't remember but we, it was ridiculous we had um again if i remember rightly we had a whole yeah chuck and blade so this thing was about 25 kilos worth of meat on the on the on the double xl um I, th- I think um one of the guys who was working with egg for me Nick at the time was saying you could get six sucking pigs on it. <laughs> it's it's, it's huge, there's no need. You? There's no need for it. It's just, <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, it would look good in your garden, but I don't think I'd ever use it. right? and again, well, you can sub- you could substitute as a hot
0: tub. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's a
1: good point. i said, whilst you're on the on the size of it as well, um you know customers ask me you know, we retail egg admittedly and you know customers ask me about the size and yeah customers coming in oh XL XL and like, actually, no, I actually know like you stick to the minimax or the large because actually i think those sizes not just in the egg in the whole range of commandos actually they're more efficient they light, i think they light better and i think the temperature control is better on them as well so um you know i was fortunate enough like i say i've got my large about 12 years ago and then um i thought actually get the minimax to sit outside next to it um a, if i'm doing a big family barbecue then it gives me two different cooking temperatures um or Again, like a weeknight. So like I said, you know, I've got three kids. My wife, you know, we own a coffee shop. And believe it or not, we own a dance school. Busy um, wow, man. Yeah, my wife works pretty much eight in the morning till half 10, 11 at night, um, Monday, <laughs> Saturday. So from finishing up the butchery to running home to going up to dance school to pick up the kids after dance lessons to get back. Time's a nightmare. So actually the Minimax is brilliant because you can just chuck a lighter on it. Right, girls, we're going to chuck some steak on there. Or there's quite a controversial, go back to the old school world, we could chuck some sausages on it, yeah. that, kind of, that kind of thing. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's size-wise. But I think it goes back to my point. If, if I'd had the XL, I think there's a psychological element to me going, actually, I don't think I'd want to come home every night and light it. Because you've just got that visual element, which is so big. Even though it's, we know it's economical, I just don't think I'd want to. Um, if that kind of makes sense, anyway. it's just that <laughs> do,
0: yeah. do you know what it does? Fun, funny enough, so... I've got I've got a number of different barbecues, a few different brands, and I've been uh, I was saying to uh, someone asked me about my wish list, and all three of them, the top three, were all big, all big barbecues. Yeah, but actually thinking about it, again, I'm you know wife and two kids. Some nights, you know, the kids eat school dinners, they just want a sandwich when they get home, or my wife doesn't want to eat what I eat, but. I don't necessarily need to fire up my massive Traeger. No. I am eight eight five, or I don't need to f- fire up my big Weber fifty seven. It almost sometimes it would be nice just to have like a little tabletop yeah. grill or something, you know. Just or almost like you know, like the little um, like Yakitori type. Yeah, grill, you sure. know japanese grills that are just small that just perfect size for just one one steak on there yeah. or cut two sausages or whatever that you're not actually having to fire up a whole oven or a grill or a you know um
1: yeah. i think i think you're right i thing think i think this point i think you know again that goes back to the fire pit for me you know that was kind of a multi multi-use as well it was like again like i take last night for instance i could chuck some logs on there and again not going crazy you know looking at economics so you know two or three logs because you know to, get to cook. You've got a nice ambient afterwards when it doesn't break. Um, <laughs> and a great cooking service, but you know you've got reasons for lighting it as well. And it's not huge. Yeah. You're not like you said. You're not. You're not lighting up this gigantic barbecue for, a couple of steaks because. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think you know that. Again, it goes back to like you say, economics as well. The the, the style barbecues they look amazing, um and they're not crazy expensive. You know, you can see you can pick them up now for, you know, for a pretty good price. And the temperatures. Have you have
0: you used, have you used one? No I haven't. No. I've oh, seen a few people incredible. starting to use them but I've heard good things. They they're nuts we we got one at work. Uh must be in
1: 2019 because it was pre pre-covid. Um and again we we had a yakitori menu on a, on our outdoor dining because it was kind of hand-in-hand butchery uh, to out, outside. Um but the heat that these things produce is just it's immense. <laughs> it's you No know, they're not joking with the yakitori. You can cook yakitori within seconds. Um yeah. Like, they're really they're good fun. Um yeah, I'd i highly recommend them. Um, and again for the price bracket. They don't take a lot of charcoal either. Um you know, I know you can go you can go as crazy as you want and um you know you can go to order this Japanese charcoal I can't remember the name of it, Bio-Shen, something Bioshen.
0: Big Pichichan, yeah. Like yeah. 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 Um which are, I I think, oh, I've had of, sorry. That's
1: one. I've had the luxury of using it a couple of times in the chefing industry, which is stuff's the same, you know, it is worth the money, but wow. Um but yeah it goes back to like you say it's, it's economics, isn't it? I am I'm, I'm I'm a barbecue advocate of you know cook to what you can afford as well. You know, don't you don't need to, you know, I started out years ago barbecue when when barbecue started becoming a passion before kind of going to eggs, you know, I I had um a really cheap offset again range model um smoker um that I would just sit outside loading logs on, hoping for the best. <laughs> it's got no <laughs> No decent seal on it, no decent, you know, temperature range was well, you know, it was so it was it was kind of like teaching yourself, if I put a thing of water here and I use this amount of fire, I can actually bring it down to a um and again for me, I think that's that luxury. It's is is trying to also understand about the cooking skills. Um, you know, even take a, just a, a standard kettle barbecue with lid, you know, the whole offsetting, put your charcoal to one side, put a pan of water on the other side, and you can create a convection. Um, by doing that you can control you're not going to burn you can be able, and you can register to a certain extent you're going to be able to do low and slow um so yeah i you know that's a really good area for me yes, i love that I, I find it really really fascinating um who was the guy uh, one of my favorite books i was introduced to in my in my last chefing job um and again i, I would imagine in our community most people would know you know francis mormon um the argentinian barbecue chef what a legend um you know i, I I got his two books um, years ago, um, You know, Seven Fires and Seven Fires, the Recipes. Um, and I, I think I've read Seven Fires oh, 50, 60 times now, just back and forwards. And I absolutely love this idea of, well, seven fires, the seven different ways of cooking over fire. Um, and that kind of links into when someone you know saying to me, oh, we've only got a drumbecue or we've only got you know, a kettle barbecue. Well, you can do the same. You, know, you can yeah. cook the same way just understanding these different principles of how fire works um how to get that fire to work in your favor yeah and i couldn't recommend that book enough to be honest with you because that really taught me even away from the chefing industry because there was stuff in there that in the industry just wouldn't relate and it was it was brilliant um so yeah it's kind of goes back to economics you know you can buy it doesn't matter what you spend on a barbecue you know as long as as and again i'm going to be um I will push Marcus out on this one, but I'm a big advocate of let's get rid of disposable barbecues because I don't see any for them. Let's 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 lose them. Yeah, I
0: completely agree with that. Yeah, yeah, especially. Yeah, I was going to say especially. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, and I I I think you know with with so many barbecues now that are portable, good quality you get the heat retention, you get all the, you know, they're a similar size to what a, a, a throwaway barbecue is. What What is the need? There isn't. For, there for isn't.
1: them. No, and it goes back to, I keep real range of the range because to be honest with you, in the summer, um, I know it's about 365, but in the summer, their range is, their, their range is really bloody good. Um, you know, from chimneys to, to barbecues, you know, that aren't crazy expensive. No, they do a ceramic, I think, I don't. is it the acorn? I think they do something like that. It's, it's another red one anyway. But, yeah I quite like that because it goes back to you know, that's where I started out you know I think the my offset barbecue cost me 90 pounds um and it lasted me for 3 4 years probably you know we looked after it I bought a cover for it admittedly, and you know we looked after it cleaned it out after every use and you know, and it was it was great and it was a great learning tool um and it was just you know, more tool. it was fun yeah it is all right, the goes into what we're going to go into in a minute. You know, there was plenty of mistakes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> let, let, let's talk about that now. Yeah, uh, yeah. obviously, it, it's one of the things, as I said, we hold very, very dear on the on the podcast is is the barbecue fails. You mentioned one earlier about essentially the bottom of your fire pit falling through, but uh, I, I suppose again with a, an extensive chefing career as well, I'm sure there was probably a few even fails from there. So t- tell us all about them, Simon. Um. Let's go with my
1: biggest one. This is not barbecue, unfortunately, but we'll go with my biggest fail. Um this goes back twenty probably nearly 30 years now. So it's quite an old, quite an old story. So anyway, <laughs> I was starting out in uh in a in a very, very well known restaurant in Kent. Um we were doing um, I know it's controversial, but bear in mind it was a high-end restaurant at the moment. At then, we were doing chicken and far, chicken liver and fire gras parfait. Okay. Um we all know the cost of fire grass is just ridiculous um so again i won't give it a whole recipe but it was basically you know it's a holdover fire grass and chicken livers lots and lots of pork <laughs> that kind of that kind of thing blended up put into a dream and then into into a marie, set up and in the oven and you bake it very very slowly in the marie until it's set and then it comes out you butter it and and it, it looks very nice and it's very tasty but uh, so biggest fail so i um i think i can't remember i think i put six of these in in the oven um i put them in the oven must have been about 2 30 in the afternoon so just as lunch the lunch services come up to a wraps anyway being young eager to get out on a break um wraps up wraps my knives up ran out i, only lived, I didn't live that far away from the restaurant so i'd run home um completely forgot that i put these things in the oven Got back into the kitchen. Must have been about five five thirty to set up for evening service, and these things were knackered. Scrambled through and through the money oh, no. that I had thrown in the bin, and uh, I, I won't tell you what my head chef said because I don't think we can redo really that on 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 on, on air. <laughs> but I wasn't in the best. Uh, it wasn't in the best books. Let's put it that way. So we're screwed <laughs> uh, up six bars um, or so Oh, that is that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was um, yeah. I was in the bad books for that one. Let's put it that way. So I think that's probably my biggest, my biggest fail. I think other than that, in general, there's, there's lots of, I think there's fails every day. I think social media has, has you know, and I'm, I'm the worst for it. You know, you only post on social media what looks good, yeah? <laughs> but
0: most you know, of the time, yeah. <laughs> most of
1: the time. You don't necessarily post on social media, the bits on the side that are burnt out to control that. But, you know, I had one fail. Actually, I did put on social media. And I didn't, didn't realise I'd actually taken a photo of it and stuff it up, but I did um like this KFC style chicken um, super excited. I'd like, gone to town, right? So I'd found the recipe for what, you know, the closest recipe I could find to that, Like KFC crumb. Um, I've made my own buns to go with it, the lettuce, you, you you name it. I've gone the whole way. It made my own KFC gravy. Super proud of this. And even got KFC paper to that style and start wrapping these things up in. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've done chips with the side of it. And uh, it wasn't until, I don't know, I don't know what happened, but I put it up on social media. I was super excited. with like, Hey, I've gone to town. And then comments started to come through. It was like them chips are burnt, they're black. <laughs> and I was looking, at it and I literally like put this photo of these black chips. <laughs> that i would just ne- obviously forgotten about.
0: <laughs> They've gone black to <laughs> black to anything. You just used a very very dense pepper rub, right? Well, of course, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so there's
1: one. Um, again, uh, that was born more barbecue. So non barbecue related again. Um, pressure cooking fail uh tried to press cook oxtail uh i think it was fairly you into into that kind of scene of cooking um anyway he cut it out and it was like there's oxtail soup and there's oxtail puree um, <laughs> and that yeah this thing was just like an absolute puree um, to be honest yeah there's, there's oh the, the the classic ones are uh, burning the bottom or something and uh, I'm not necessarily showing that on social media. So yeah, <laughs> go through some of my photos. If you look closely, um, you will see the bottom. You look at it, and it's like this black layer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think, yeah, do yeah. you know what? I fail. I'm not going to lie. We we all fail, and I fail all the time. Um, but I think that the the, the skill set is is not about necessarily the failing. This is how do you recover from the fail. Um, you know, as long as it's not a catastrophic. Like, I've left it in the oven overnight, and or I left it in my barbecue overnight. The barbecue's gone up to 300 degrees C, and it's black, and there's nothing you do with it. I think there's you can always get away with something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Paul Pork's the most classic one, isn't it? Oh The barbecue went out, or it's all not. You can wipe the temperature up and roast it. <laughs> it's,
0: it's yeah. I, I especially think at home as well, isn't it? When it's just you and your family, yeah. I'd like to th- you'd like to think they're pretty forgiving, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we'll get. Yeah. A, we'll, get around it slap a bit of sauce well, on I suppose it. You, I'm, you I'm,
1: like lucky, I'm lucky with my family my family is forgiving um it's me that beats myself up more than my family um and you're like oh my god like, and yeah no i wouldn't say a temper because i'm gonna be a temper but i've got kind of get angry at yourself and, and then it's kind of like well, now what are we am gonna do for dinner now where i'm gonna go and then, yeah this <laughs> is like oh god here we go <laughs> <laughs> more, yeah um, I think it's more that kind of personal beta, especially being in the trade for so many years as well um, when you do fail you're like I know better than this um, but like you say it's not so bad in family in the restaurant scene that's a different story that's yeah, yeah you, I can imagine you don't have time to fail like that if that makes sense again you know yeah. you some of the busiest restaurants I worked in you were doing like 200 covers a night and you, you, you didn't have time You were, yeah, I, I remember services where I'm not gonna lie, I've cried, you know, I've cried in the kitchen as a grown man, you know, yeah when that pressure is that immense and you've got a ticket coming on a ticket, 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 and and you're and you're just not seeing you, know, you suddenly realise you're not prepped up for it, you haven't got enough of and it can be the smallest thing in the world, so you know, kind of interlinks to the fail. I haven't diced enough slots to go in the slot dressing for the oysters is a great one. And you don't physically have the time during service to so go, right, stop, reslice, redo it's yes, or burning that steak you know overcook that steak and that steak comes back to you because you because you're you're at that kind of panic stage as a chef that you just send it out anyway because oh, i'm gonna fight i can't i can't and now my chef's gonna kill me so i'm just gonna send it out and it comes yeah. back those yeah they're the harsh learnings that was uh yeah so
0: i want to completely turn it around now from from the from the fails and 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 the stress of it what do you yeah what do you absolutely love to cook on the barbecue what was your oh. favorite thing oh well
1: um i think there's two favorite things three favorite things i like to cook um obviously steak that has to be up there of course you know in 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 the butchery industry lucky enough to have some bloody amazing steaks on a weekly basis so yeah i i think that's my favorite thing to cook um in terms of i just enjoy it i enjoy I enjoy the aspect of the intuition, um, you know, knowing when it's done, watching it, understanding it, listening to it, you, you all of those little techniques that kind of go into making that steak absolutely spot on. Um so steak's got me number one, and that's to be honest with you, that would be the dish that will be my last. That would be my last dish, one hundred percent. Steak and chips, no frills, no spills, <laughs> just steak and chips, yeah. yeah <laughs> um, sounds good. Um and then it sounds really crazy actually, paella. Um okay. on the fire. I, I just I think it's more of a sentimental one. So when when my wife and I uh, you know, we got together and we got married, um, and then we're going back. You know, we've married what twenty years this year. So um, our honeymoon was in the Costel Sol. Woo-hoo, you know, great party town. Um, I wasn't a chef. I wasn't a chef then, didn't we? I didn't. I didn't really. I'd never been to a hot country either, so I didn't really know. I didn't know anything about food. I enjoy. I knew I enjoy eating food. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then. Um, my wife and I, we, we again, for those of you who know, across the soil, you go to the most amazing beach and coming away from that kind of party pub scene, if you go down to the beach a first thing in the morning when the boat's coming in with these fresh sardines that have been cooked over charcoal, then you go to the restaurants in the evening and they're cooking paella um, yeah, over, over over fire. Um, and I think, you know, I came back, you know, to kind of give you a story, you know, we, we was eating paella, I think we must rate it two or three times on our honeymoon, um, that, that, um, and it was just kind of like, wow, this is just I've never experienced, I've never eaten anything like this, you know. And then I remember coming back and so I can't kind of give you the whole picture, going into Sainsbury's, going, I want to try and cook paella at home. And um, yeah. I wasn't the chef, like I said, I'd never clue. I'd never I cooked with my mum and my dad, um, doing bits and pieces, you know, making shepherds pies and stuff. Yeah, I'd never cooked cooked. But I remember I remember you yeah, Nick, my wife, myself pick up this um, paella rice and they had a recipe on the back on how to make the yeah so um, and again we'd um this isn't barbecue to start but we'd had you know cheap frying pan etc your first flat yeah and I remember making this paella and it was tasty don't be wrong it was you know it wasn't a fail it wasn't it was nothing like we'd eaten in Spain but it was tasty and it was a great meal and it it then sort of slowly became an addiction and it became my wife and I's set meal and it was like at least once a week we would have paella and at that point it was always kind of the uk what's to call it uk set recipe kind of area so you know it always had chorizo in it because that's what us yeah. love um it would always have squid um <laughs> it would always have chicken and um so you know, it was very much that kind of bastardized recipe but it was brilliant and we had it every week yeah um, and then i'm going to carry on part of it there and then i won't give my whole career path but i i was working um at my local ski center um because that's my old trade um yeah. and then Came out of it and i got a job uh, in the beef eaters as a chef um and it was brilliant and we had paella. we had paella on the menu there in the beef eaters and you can imagine it you know it came out of the packet but we grilled the chicken right and the chicken got this like this cross smart grill and it went on the top and wow this thing was amazing proper little cast iron paella of pans used to go out so this paella passion kind of just expanded and expanded um so let's skip to probably about five or six years ago so then i really Gone into the butchery trade, gone through the whole of my chefing trade and started to really kind of this passion about exploring cultures, foods, how things were traditionally done, why you would do things like you do. And and then we started um, you know, I bought myself you know, a traditional paella pan from you know from where I'm working now actually, ironically, with the you know, the proper thin base on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then again on the on my on my on my holy um fire pit <laughs> <laughs> would put loads of logs on and make the fire. And then start cooking the paella over fire, um, and then start looking at traditional methods as well. So you know, why am I putting chorizo in it? Actually, let's look at rabbit. Let's look at other 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 options. And I remember buying the uh, the book, you know, the paella book by Faidon, um, and reading through that, going, bloody hell, this is, that this is intense. Like they, cook and then they 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 put a cloth over it at the end, and uh, actually, what they're looking for is that like that crust on the bottom, and and it's just it, it's now become like this every and i'm going to be sort of backtracking what we said about 365 again but it's it's more of a summer. is more of a summer thing for us now but it's become like this family summer ritual that we'll have all these ingredients in bowls laid out the fire pit will be lit and then we'll go out and the pan will go on and the oil and the butter will go in the pan and then we'll start you know building this uh, this paella and you know the kids actually love it because this thing will go in the middle of the table and you've got this like smoky element to it and so yeah as you're it's, to it's like company. it's an
0: inter- it's an interactive cook that it becomes an interactive oh, cook for the family then doesn't it massively. it's not an interactive cook it's an
1: interactive dining as well isn't it like um you kind of come away from this stereotypical we must sit around the table and have your food dished up to you on a plate no do you know what there's the plate in the middle of the table there's a spoon yeah i want help yourself and it, so it becomes this whole journey doesn't it this whole this whole amazing journey of from, from me now is not just about the cooking the fire going out and sourcing the ingredients. So you know it's let's go to these farm shops or this fishmongery and we'll go and source these ingredients. They will come back. Then we we'll, the ritual lighting the pit, getting the pit to the right temperature, understanding going back to that seven fires, isn't it? Understanding at what stage is that pit ready to go? Am I am I going to put it through when the flames are about ten foot high still? Well, probably not. Yeah, but am i going to put it through when it's dead yeah and it's just getting that balance and yeah. you know we all know a player takes what 25 30 minutes if not a little bit more to cook and it's making sure that you get you get that pan on that right point that the logs at the right temperature but they're dying towards that end part of that cook um, yeah and it, and it just becomes this really intense kind of fun cook i think is so as you can probably tell It's probably it's probably even, probably even
0: reverse. It's it probably is my favourite.
1: I, I, I was <laughs> just about to say the way that you
0: just explained that that's got to be number one. And yeah, I mean, I'd like I'd like you to keep that in mind. Which the okay. next thing I want to I want to go on to is barbecue bingo, and there's a reason I'm asking you th- these questions first. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so this is quite a good segue actually, because uh, as as I've, uh, I kind of mentioned to you before we started recording, we do this barbecue bingo challenge. So I've just. Pulled up this oh, right in front it. of me. Yeah. So oh, a great I mean, there's, th- th- there's no there's no bingo involved. It's a really high tech <laughs> wheel. Um, <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> but one one of the things on there is my signature dish, which is your signature dish. What you're famous for. So the way that you've just explained it, actually, pile is already on there. So maybe the, the steak and chips should be uh, your signature <laughs> dish. But. Um, what we've what we've done is we've added new to this so yeah. all the guests that we've been recording season 4 which you're part of season 4 yeah. we're asking them to leave uh leave a, a um an ingredient so liver's gone on there sumac maple and pecan ice cream chocolate buttons yeah. so once we've spun this to see what you get I'd love for you to add An ingredient or or a dish to to go on to there. So, is there anything that sticks out for you that you're a big no no or yes, I'd love to have a go at? To be honest, no, I'll be keen on any of that, to be honest with you.
1: There is obviously some favorites on there. Um, But I think just spin it and let's just see what comes up.
0: Fantastic. Right. Let's give this
1: a go. Ah, fantastic. Excellent.
0: Ah, so. Um, this is the first ingredient yep. that was put on by Chris at Big Nose Barbecue, one of the hey. organisers of Sizzle yep. Fest. Yes,
1: yes, Um
0: So fantastic! So he'll be pleased that uh, that you've got that to, to give give that a go. So, uh, what what do you think you're going to try and use sumac with?
1: With sumac, so we're we talking sort of Middle Eastern at this kind of yeah. area. So. The Obvious that shouting out to me will be fish or uh, white meat, so chicken or pork, something like that. Chicken, predominantly, um, fish is another good one with sumac. Uh, thinking flatbreads, thinking pomegranates at the moment, um, so, or come down that route, or like, um, oh, what's the what's the rice, um, with like kind of nuts and raisins? Uh, pilai is that kind of area? Um, that's good maybe like chicken that's that's in spatchcocked um, or even completely boned. Yeah. Um, yeah, with the sumac broken onto flatbreads covered with like your, your pomegranate ju- um, jewels. Keeping it, yeah, keeping it down that route. Yoghurt, nice sort of yoghurt yogurt dressing with maybe a bit of sumac going to the yoghurt dressing. Right. What What would you like us to add to this for our next guest? I'm, I'm going to sure. go, this is going to sound quite strange. I'm going to go Szechuan pepper really interesting ingredient and it is let's be honest it's pretty now read available most supermarkets now will sock it within their spice section so it's a it's not a completely random product but for me just to kind of highlight it so when someone does choose it it's um it's one of those products i've really got into over the last three or four weeks really massively got into my chinese into my chinese style cooking um
0: it'd be interesting to see what
1: people come up with it as well so
0: Yes. And you've also created a new fail for the podcast, which is Owen's spelling fails. Hey. No, I
1: don't. I'm like, I'm, this is why. This is this is why I'm a chef and I'm a butcher. I'm highly. I'm highly dyslexic, and anything
0: academic was never going to work. So, oh, there we are. But no, I no, appreciate that. So we we'll obviously look forward to what you're going to cook there. um I'd kind. I'd like to ask one kind of one final question, yeah, which course, could 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 probably be a hard question to answer, but I'm going to give it a go. So it kind of goes right back to the beginning, actually, when you were talking about Thor's Hammer and how six yes. months ago that hasn't, it wasn't a thing. You couldn't yep. sell them. And now you're you're selling four or five a week. What do you think, as we come out of props Christmas, which is going to be pro- more traditional, but moving into 2023, what do you think is going to be the next big barbecue cut or barbecue trend from a, from a meat perspective? That is really, really difficult.
1: Um, I I think a lot of the trends, everything's going in circles at the moment. I think in the current economical state, knowing we're going to come out of Christmas where people are going to spend a lot of money still over Christmas because we're all going to want to celebrate. Um, So January, February, March is going to be a much, much tighter three months than potentially any of the other years that we've had. So I think it's staying down that theme of secondaries. I think secondary cuts are going to be huge. Poor oh, secondary states I, I don't know um i'd like to go back to maybe what we're saying with the chuck i think chuck they're going to have a massive revival i really i think that's going to be i unfortunately i think things like lamb are potentially going to drop off the radar a little bit because you know lamb is notoriously expensive or deemed expensive yeah um i think poultry is going to struggle for a little bit i, I think you know price of poultry is going up and up and up and yeah, even look at look at supermarkets now um you know we're we're expensive anywhere where where i am for the for the quality that we're using but i think poultry's so i think it's gonna yeah i secondary cuts bigger cuts maybe maybe bulk, bulk might have a bit of revival um my honest answer, i don't know i don't know the train the trends are changing very very rapidly um you know yeah. things are changing on a daily basis right now people's shopping habits are changing on a daily basis right now um if I'm going to relate this directly to, uh, to barbecue, um, then I think trend will continue with bigger cuts, um, more cost-effective bigger cuts. So rather than again kilo joints, I think people will probably buy larger, slower cooking joints that will do two or three meals rather than just your kind of your one barbecue night. I think, yeah. and I think, and I'm hoping um, as well that that trend will really kind of hit off that people let's use chuck again an example will will do that low and slow chuck but then really now start thinking of leftovers, you know, what can we do with those leftovers? Can we make a ragu? Can it go into a chili con carne? Can it go into a curry? Um, and I think, I'm hoping as well, that's where the trend will go. Um, I, I do think, and this is very, very arrogant to say, I do think the trends to be led by a lot more social media. Um, the the powers of social media right now, not necessarily myself, but, you know, look at some of the big players, you know, I think Thor's hammer was set, you know, set on the social media trend. Um, and I think that's really where, where where the trends, the trade's going to be dictated to. But I like to say, I'm, I'm hoping it goes to. Well, let's be honest. I, I will stick. I'll stick on my high horse. I'm hoping it goes to concentrating on British meat, not necessarily not beef, but British meat, zero importation, supporting our local farmers or supporting our farmers in general, um, and understanding about less wastage. I think that's really, really where I'm hoping the trend goes. You know? people understanding that actually buy a whole chicken and how many meals can that whole chicken do, making sure we're using up the bones, et cetera. Taking our life back into full circle, if that makes sense, you know, to what our parents yeah. and our parents' parents used to do. Um yeah. is not a negative in any shape or means. You know, I think if I can put a positive spin on this economic area, I'm hoping that's gonna be a positive spin that we all actually start to rethink about the way we cook, eat, what we're eating, um, you know, less takeaways, more home cooking it would be
0: absolutely ideal so that's you
1: know kind of a kind of a stick of my high morals on that one but
0: i do i do me, I but, but i absolutely i absolutely agree with you to you know in in the for me i'm re-evalued every time i go to the butchers now um again i'm looking at what can i what can i buy that's going to get the best value for money you know I've, yeah. I've always i've been buying from the butchers as long as i could couldn't remember me you know me personally but i've i've uh, I, I, yeah, I I also need now to need to look at the best way to maximise every single piece of meat that you cook and everything everything you buy. So I, I think that's absolutely yeah, right yeah. to do so. Yeah, you know, again,
1: you know, the, the example for me as well. It's about it's about that bulk cooking as well. Um, you know, yeah, give me an example. I've got, you know, I've got my mum and dad come over for dinner tomorrow night. Um, admittedly, we'll, we'll do it. Will it will be on the egg actually? But we'll do going to do a van. Which can be quite an expensive dish, um, you know. By the time you put sort of pancetta through there, your chicken through there, but actually to make it more economical, you know, I bought enough to cover three meals for the week, so I don't have to buy another three meals or another two meals. You know, we've got tomorrow night's meal, and then that covers me then for two nights when I yeah. know I'm running around like crazy, um, and again that interrelates to me for another kind of thing where my morals sit of eating healthy. Um, I don't want to be pushed into that corner where I'm having to go to a supermarket to buy a ready meal that's full of not great stuff. <laughs> um, that was very diplomatic. I, I know. I was just trying to think of the words. You I'm not in the butchery right now, so I can't. Um, but you, do you know what I mean? It, it's I, I, I kind of yeah. I want I want to know what I'm eating, and I want to know. one to know healthy? I think it's probably exaggerating to say one that's healthy, but I want to know the ingredients that are in it. You know. Yeah. Yes, I'll make I'll make some Chinese food that I will put a bit of MSG and stuff like that in it. Trust me, because it flavours them. But I think I just want to know what ingredients I'm cooking with and what's going in, and if I can eat fresh every night, then that's the way of doing it. So goes back to that bulk cook, buy, yeah. almost spend out that money in the initial place for good ingredients, but to bulk cook those ingredients that are going to last them through two or three meals rather than that kind of one meal for one night. So that's good. Kind of, yeah, where I yeah, that but yeah. it's quite idealistic, no, but. It, I, I believe I do believe it can work you know I, I again I'll sitting. I live well as you said before I live one of the most craziest lifestyles of busyness you know well, so I do my wife does and I pick up the slack um <laughs> pick up the slack from there but when people say to me oh, I haven't got time or, you know we've all got the time you know it's it's about being clever um yeah clever with your menus like you say going into your butchers and, and buying a big economical cut you know Pulled pork, we'll say pulled pork, but you know, shoulder of pork, Boston, but amazingly economical. And you can get gross family meals out of it. It doesn't have to necessarily um, smoke pulled pork, does it? You know, you can pull pork and that pork can go into a ragu. it can go into a pork and cider casserole, it can go into so many different variations. But yeah. you can chuck it on your ceramic barbecue and leave it for however long you want. You can, let's be honest, you can chuck it in your slow cooker. It's you've got options. So, yeah, yeah we've all got the time. I mean, it's just kind of making that time and make you know just being clever with it. I think that's it's just
0: again, that's just where I sit with it. So, two final things then before we go yeah, look, is there any is there anything that we haven't spoken about yet that you wanted to sort of talk to and or or tell our readers before before we finish? I think I think we've covered
1: I think we've covered quite a lot of things in sort of you know in, in some in some in depth and some in a, bit of a roundabout way the way conversations always go. Um, you know, again, for me, it's just. The passion, really, um, you know, is what people can understand. You know why are we doing what we're doing, and um, and for our readers, really, to have the confidence of coming into us into us butchers and don't be afraid to ask. I think is the biggest thing for me. It's just because we've got a counter in front of us. We're not scary. You know, we're we're nine times out of ten um, we're all exceptionally friendly and bloody keen and passionate about what we do, and we're gonna we actually want to share our knowledge. Um, so you know, the thing for me is always ask. You know, if you was to come and see me in Faversham, then ask. You know, come to my fridge. I've got. We've got. I love it when a customer comes in and says, "You know, what can we? You know, we're looking for something. We need inspiration." All right, come into my fridge. Literally, there's you know, bodies of beef everything hanging up. And look. <laughs> like, there's nothing to hide. And come so, to it sounds it. like my idea of heaven. <laughs> Absolutely, but that's it. And that's you know, so that would be the one thing for me is you know, let, let's just really kind of highlight this trade. Um, you know, the butchery trade and. Just get people to be confident. Also, confident understanding that if you come to us as a butcher's, not just my butcher's, but any butcher's that I know of, you don't have to have a whole pack of something. You know, you go in the supermarket and you're dictated to, yeah? You have to have a kilo of mince or 500 grams of mince. You have to have a pack of six sausages. Great. Well, goes back to the economics. You don't always want that. You come to the butcher's and, you know, I've got customers that come in every week without fail, but have like 250 grams worth of mince. That's you know that's bread and butter to me as a, as a retailer, um, but it's brilliant because they know they they can come in. You can come in and have one sausage. Yeah, you, know, you don't have to come in, and that's and I think that's the beauty of our trade. That's the beauty of what we do is that flexibility. You know, yeah. we can meet your. We may we look expensive. You know, you you look at the counter, you look at the window, you look at the per kilo prices, and you go whoa. But it's that realization of a customer that, you know, just because I've got a whole ribeye in the counter. You don't have to have the whole ribeye you can have a five ounce steak off that ribeye and it's not an <laughs> yeah. extra. yeah so yeah i, I think yeah, i think people will get the gist of where i'm kind of coming from and that but have confidence come and speak to us ask us questions you know we're more than willing to help you out so i think yeah, that'd be
0: that's probably, yeah, that's probably all, all, all ready for me to get across great so you've got that across now where can people find you so you've mentioned social media a few times but actually give 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 where people can find you on your yeah absolutely so
1: my butchery i I work for a company called macnade um it's a farm shop that's based in faversham in kent so we're just off of the a2 um, just outside of faversham uh probably 15 minute drive from Canterbury, 20 minute drive from ashford if you're coming london direction Traffic pending 45, 45 minutes to the top end of an hour, I would have said, probably less than an hour. Um, that's coming from sort of southeast London direction, um, probably about an hour from Dover. So we're a big food. We're a food hall. Um, we've got cafe. We've got an amazing deli. Um, like I said before, the range of cheese on there. I couldn't even tell you how many is on there, but it's just insane. Uh, charcuterie section where we've got, you know, some of the best charcuterie in the world amongst some of the best British charcuterie. Um, we've got then veg which is local veg where we can and then we have an amazing imported section as well with the veg um, our owner is italian uh, as an italian owner so we do get a lot of really high-end italian produce come through you know right down to the pasta range as well you've got pastas that you just won't find anywhere else you know, from small small family producers up in the mountains in italy um it's it's well worth a visit you know it's yes i run the butchery there um but food's my passion and the shop is insane yeah, you can spend if you're going to come down just make sure you take the whole morning because it's not it's not just a it's not just a half hour shipping it's a it's a it's
0: a good morning out so yeah we're Mac-Nade fine foods or macknade in Farishim, in kent fantastic well simon it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast and yeah, uh i look forward to catching up with you again at perhaps another barbecue well, festival we'll, uh, or... we'll get
1: this uh, we'll get this recipe done with the uh with the sumac and um we'll, we'll, we'll ping that up so brilliant
0: well thank you very much for coming on Simon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We'll we'll catch up again. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye Bye. Bye. Bye that's it for another episode of the meet and greet barbecue podcast. Thanks so much to Simon coming on and talking about all things butchery, uh, as well as cooking in general. Uh, He's clearly got a passion for food. So if you're down in the Kent area, please do go out and check out his farm shop and butchery. Um, As ever we want to hear from you, we want to know what you'd like us to talk about on the podcast, please do get in touch with us through our social media channels or through our website at meet and greet barbecue podcast. On the website, we've got our own store with the barbecue merch, the podcast merch, as well as we've got some affiliates where we're working with some fantastic brands such as Thermapen, uh, where, you know, it's all about cooking to temperature and not time to make sure you get the best quality meat uh, cooked at the right temperature. Until next time, keep on grilling. Today's episode of the Meet and Greet Barbecue podcast is brought to you by AOS Outdoor Kitchens. They are the South's leading outdoor kitchen design and installation specialists.